Ezekiel chapter 35. We're going to go through chapter 35 and 36 this evening. And the chapters about the, are about the restoration of Israel. Chapters 35 and 36 deal with the future restoration of Israel. They're going to be restored one day. Our Israel is going to be restored one day. There, there are two things that have to happen before the people can be restored to their land in peace. Edom has to be judged, and Israel's past sins have to be judged and forgiven. The judgment of Edom prophesied here was fulfilled, but it's still prophetic regarding the judgment that's in store for Israel's enemies. And chapter 35 covers the destruction of Mount Seir, or else known as Edom. And there are a couple of things that suggest that this message of judgment was correct, that is, it was justified and it was necessary. First, because of the Edomites' joyfulness, remember earlier on in our studies when Jerusalem fell? Oh, they were so happy about that. They were rejoicing in in Jerusalem's fall. That calls for a double dose of judgment on Edom. It was also right on the messages of judgment to fall on Edom be given twice, suggesting it was going to happen. So the second reason, because Edom had taken some of the land of Judah, especially in the south. And if there was to be any future restoration of the land to the Israelites, there's one question that would have been on everyone's lips. What about the land taken by the Edomites? Chapter 35 deals with these problems. And as we look at these two chapters, think about the people that think that that Israel, the land of Israel does not belong all to Israel and that it should be given away or given partially away. And as we read these chapters, we will see that God gave Israel to the Jews. The message against Edom was in two parts. There was the announcement of the judgment, and then there was the reasons for the judgment. So let's begin in chapter 35 with verses 1 through 4. These verses cover the announcement of the judgment. Verse 1 of chapter 35, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, that is Ezekiel, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, or Edom, and prophesy against it, and say to it, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you and make you most desolate. And I shall lay your cities waste and you shall be desolate or ruined or destroyed. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. The Edomites were the descendants of Esau. And Genesis chapter 27 and 32 tells about the hatred that they had for each other. And that hatred was still going on among their children, even though Jacob and Esau patched things up with each other. Esau's descendants were known as cruel, spiteful, and aggressive, idolatrous, and proud people. And God, it says in verse 3, was against them. And again, it's because they always took sides with the enemies of his people and even helped them when they attacked Israel. So God promised that one day Edom would be deserted because of their heartless thirst for revenge against the Hebrews. Verses 5 through 15, the reasons for judgment. Verse 5, because you have had an ancient hatred, notice, and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity when their iniquity came to an end. 
Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, since you have not hated blood. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. Thus I will make Mount Seir most desolate, and cut off from it the one who lives, who leaves, and the one who returns. And I will fill its mountain with the slain on your hills and in your valleys and in all your ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. I will make you perpetually desolate and your city shall be uninhabited. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. Because you have said these two nations, that is Judah and Israel, these two countries shall be mine and we will possess them. Although the Lord was there, therefore, as I live, says the Lord. I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred against them. And I will make myself known among them when I judge you. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, They are desolate, and they are given to us to consume. Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me and multiplied your words against me, and I have heard them. Thus says the Lord God, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. As you rejoiced because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you. You shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom. All of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So Ezekiel listed at least five specific reasons for judging Edom. One, Edom was to be judged for its ancient hatred of the Hebrews, according to verse 5, even hundreds of years after Jacob deceived Esau. Second reason for judgment, the Edomites had encouraged Israel's enemies to kill the Jews by the sword, and they took every chance that they got to support and even take part in attacks against Israel, according to verse 5. The third reason for judgment, their desire to own, notice, their desire to own Israel's land was driven by their feelings that the land still belonged to them because Jacob obtained it by deception, according to verse 10. Because of these feelings, God said they would be victims of bloodshed since they committed bloodshed and violence against Israel, according to verse 6. So Edom was to be destroyed, verse 7 says, and the land will be filled with dead, the dead who remain a permanent desolation, according to verse 8. The cities of Edom would disappear, never to return, verse 9. The accuracy of this prophecy is confirmed by Edom's absence from the family of nations and the desolation of the area lived in before. Fourth, the Edomites bless, uh, the fourth reason for judgment is the Edomites bless, uh, blasphemed the mountains of Israel by saying in verse 12, they are desolate and they notice they are given to us to consume. Their words were blasphemous because they disregarded Yahweh's desire for the allotment of the land to Israel. And the fifth reason for the judgment, it says in verse 13, they had spoken against God, multiplied your words against me. So their rebellious attitude was the subject of Malachi's message and insight into the bitterness of Esau's descendants in Malachi chapter 1. So they showed an attitude of rebelliousness that ignored God's will for themselves and for the Israelites. God promised judgment on Edom, and he announced that since the Edomites were happy about Israel's tragedy, the whole world would rejoice over its, that is, Edom's destruction, according to verse 14. Rejoicing over Israel and trying to take away their land caused their destruction. 
their desolation and loss of their land and their identity as a nation, according to verse 15. Then in chapter 36, we learn that Israel's past sins must be judged and forgiven before she can be restored to the land. And it's the same for individuals. Sin has to be judged, it has to be forgiven before we can be restored. Verses 1 through 15 covers taking back the mountains of Israel. So let's begin with chapter 36, verses 1 through 7. And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights or the high places have become our possession. Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate, and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations and you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slandered by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore, prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury. Because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall be their own shame, shall bear their own shame. So the message here in verses 1 through 7 is the mountain, the message is addressed to the mountains of Israel. But it's also addressed, notice in verse 4, to the hills, the rivers, and the valleys. And it's a message of judgment because of Israel's idolatry at the ancient heights, in verse 2, or the high places. And these pagan worship sites, the ancient heights or the high places, these ancient worship sites of the people was where their sins were multiplied through idolatries, uh, idolatrous Baal worship. These pagan worship altars to Baal, Asherah, Molech, and others covered wooded areas of the mountains. And for their idolatry at these high places, the Lord said that he was going to destroy the pagan shrines. And he would bring the sword to slay the people because of all the abominations of the house of Israel. So the Lord was going to show his wrath by sword, famine, and plague. And he was going to make the land desolate, even more desolate than the wilderness toward Dibla where they live. And though Edom, or I should say through Edom, And the rest of the nations, according to verses 3 through 5, the Lord had fulfilled his word. They had used the sword and they had made the inheritance of the house of Israel desolate, according to verses of chapter 35. Even so, the Lord was not going to let them go unpunished because it says, notice, the lips of talkers had slandered my people. There was malicious talk and slander, verse 3 said. There was mocking. In verse 15, in verse 4, or for the delight or re- and for the delight and rejoicing and hatred in their hearts, according to verse 5, hostility, bloodshed, anger, jealousy, according to chapter 35, 
and, and, and all of this in the way they acted. So this is why God was going to bring the judgment. Most important, he wasn't going to let them keep his land. Notice, his land. But he would return it to his people, the Jews. All the house of Israel, according to verse 10. Three charges are brought against Israel's enemies in verses 1 through 7. First, the nations and Edom had taken possession of the mountains of Israel. Verse 2 through 3 and verse 5. Second, the nations and Edom robbed Judah and left the land desolate, according to verse 3 and 4. And the third charge, the nations and Edom ridiculed and scorned Judah in verses 3, 4, 6, and 15. The nations, according to verse 4, meaning Gentile nations, of which were the most cruel and, 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 and uh, was, uh, the most recent and cruel was Babylon. Clearly, Edom is especially significant in chapter 35 through chapter 36, verse 15. They are the symbol of nations that wanted to overrun and take Israel's land for themselves. Now look at verses 8 through 12. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall not shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit, fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. I will multiply men upon you, all the house of Israel, all of it, and the city shall be inhabited, and the ruins rebuilt. I will multiply upon you man and beast, and they shall increase and bear young, and I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginnings." Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 12, yes, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. They shall take possession of you. Notice, and you shall be their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. So in, verses, uh, in these verses are four promises to Israel about the land. First, verses 8 and 9 says, the land will be fruitful once again. Secondly, all the house of Israel will return and multiply in the land, according to verse 10 and 11. Third, their return to the land will be permanent, verses 12 through 14 tell us. And fourth, God's people will start to be ridiculed and scorned again, according to verse 15. The enemies of the land have said, Aha, the ancient heights or the high places have become our possession, they said in verse 2. Again, these heights were the high places for their pagan worship, especially of Baal and Asherah. And as ancient, pagan, uh, as ancient pagan sites, they were thought to have special power. So they were thought to be a prized possession because, again, they thought they had a, a special power. But ownership of the land was the, by divine commission. God would, be, would say who was to own the land. Every family was assigned a portion of land protected by the law of the year of Jubilee in Leviticus chapter 25, when all property was restored to the original owner or the surviving family. So the land was viewed, notice, as a divine stewardship. It belonged to God. And this was the reason that Naboth wouldn't sell his part of the land to Ahab. And in this way, divine ownership of the land was recognized. So when an enemy would take possession of the land and they claimed it to be their own of what wasn't theirs, it was, it was because it belonged to God. Edom and the nations, including Babylon, took the land by force in spite of God giving the territory to Israel. 
And the land became an object of contempt and malicious talk, according to verses 3 and 4. Six words in a row were used in verse 4 to describe every feature of the land in describing the total destruction of the mountains. The hills, mountains, ravines, valleys, desolate ruins, and deserted towns. So the nations, especially Babylon and Edom, had attacked the land with wickedness and said it was their own, according to verse 5. And then God says in verse 1, the use of my land. Notice, he says, my land. The use of my land, in verse 5, called attention to the fact that it was God's land. And God being creator, going all the way back to when he gave it to Israel. God being the creator has the right to give it to whomever he pleases. And he gave it to Israel forever. Regardless of what this world says and what they're trying to do right now with Israel and, and all these people that came against Israel and they're coming against Israel and telling them to give up the land or part of the land, it belongs to the Jews. God is the rightful creator and he gives it to whom he pleases. It's important that we understand that so we will have a biblical view of what's happening over there. And instead of joining the crowd who says, hey man, Israel's doing wrong and they need to give up the land and give... No. They're fighting for survival, man. They're fighting to stay and to keep their name going. Like I said earlier, the world wants to, uh, people want to wipe them out so that the land does not exist and, and so that their names are never heard of again. So again, the nations, you know, thinking it was their own, but God said, it's my land. Calling attention to the fact it's his land. He says, and my people... In verse 12, you know, my people confirms the unique relationship that Israel had with Yahweh. Ezekiel spoke to the land and relayed a divine oath. God promised to mock the enemies of his land and his people, according to verse 6 and 7. While the land of Edom, Edom will be desolate forever, Israel will be productive again, according to verse 8. Ezekiel said the people, notice in verse 8, were about to come. That means they were, about, they were soon to come from Ezekiel's perspective. And after they return, they'll multiply and they'll prosper in the land according to verse 10, 11, and 13. And they will never be separated from it again according to verse 12. This promise obviously apply, applied to sometime after the initial return from Babylon. Under Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, since the Jews were driven out in A.D. 70. The permanent return to the land that Ezekiel saw here, as well as other parts of these promises, are still prophetical. They're still to be fulfilled. And, and we'll see more of that in, in verses 24 through 38. Let's look at verses 13 through 15 now. Verses 13 through 15. Thus says the Lord God, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children, therefore you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nation any more, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear the taunts of the nations any more, nor bear the reproach of the peoples any more, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble uh, any more. So, when the spies, remember when the spies described the land, after they went and spied out the land, they said it was a land that devours its inhabitants. God promised that in the restoration that the land would no longer devour its inhabitants, inhabitants, according to verse 14. He says people will no longer taunt Israel in the land and they will no longer ridicule them nor cause them to stumble anymore. Verse 15. 
And God assured them that these things would never happen again. The destruction of Edom was judgment against Edom for opposing God. You cannot come against God and expect to, be, you know, to, to survive. They opposed God. They opposed God's work. They opposed His people. This should be kind of a, an eye-opening illustration or testimony to what will happen to those who aggressively come against God. You can't win. You won't win. Edom would attack God's people every chance they got. So as a result of their hostility, they were going to suffer annihilation and their land would be desolate. God promised that the restoration would reverse the physical consequences of judgment for Israel. In other words, the land was destroyed. But instead, in verses 8 through 19, of being desolate, it would then be again fruitful and productive once more. Then verses 16 through 38 covers the future restoration of fruitfulness in Israel. So verse 16 now will begin a new message. After making it clear about who owned the land of Israel, I hope we have no doubt that God owns the land of Israel, Ezekiel tells us in a lot of detail the reason and nature for the restoration. And this message can be divided into three parts. First part, the reasons for the coming restoration, verses 16 through 23. The second part, now there are seven parts of the coming restoration in verses 24 through 32. And the third part, a summary of the benefits of the restoration of Israel in verses 33 through 38. So the first section explains that the land was defiled by the Hebrews because of their disobedience to the Mosaic Covenant in verses 16 through 18. These acts of disobedience centered into, in two areas, bloodshed and violence, according to verse 16 and 17, and second, idolatry, in verse 18. So their abominations were so offensive to God that God compared them to the bloody discharge of a woman during her menstrual cycle that made her ceremonial, uh, ceremonially impure, according to verse 17. So let's begin with verses 16 through 23 now, the reasons for the restoration, beginning with verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries, and I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet, notice, they have gone out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Therefore, says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. Notice, I do not do this for your sake. In other words, I'm not going to restore you for your sake. It's for my name. He says, I'm not, I don't do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. He says, and I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst, and the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. God judged the Hebrews by scattering them 
referring to the Assyrian and Babylonian exile. But they were a disgrace. And they blasphemed God's holy name because they made it look like He wasn't able to keep them safe, according to verses 19 and 20. So God planned on restoring them, not because they deserved to be restored, but for the sake of His holy name and for the sake of His reputation. He says, my holy name in verse 20 through 22, and I will sanctify my great name, verse 23 says. So you see, it was the Lord's name that was also an issue at other times than just during the exile. The Hebrews' idolatry didn't just defile the land, man, it also profaned God's name. The revelation of God's name or character was, very, was a very important part of God's dealing with Israel from the very start. And it would continue to be God's name and His character that would keep Israel from being annihilated after they worshipped the golden calf in Exodus. He made the same request when the people chose not to enter the promised land. Israel's restoration would be assigned to the nations, including Babylon and Edom, that Yahweh was still in control and He still considered Israel His people. God promised to establish his reputation or his name among them. Look at verses 24 through 38 now, the essentials of the restoration. Verses 24 through 38. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into, notice, your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. And then you shall dwell in the land, notice, that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you from all of your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and multiply it and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all of your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the, and the ruins shall be rebuilt." The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it and I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock and like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. So shall the ruined cities be filled with flocks of men and then they shall know that I am the Lord. So in the last days, when God brings his chosen people back to the promised land, he's going to change them spiritually. 
Because only a transformed people can enjoy a transformed land. The spiritual experience described here in this last section shows what happens to every sinner who trusts in Jesus Christ. First, God said He's going to cleanse them from their sins. And this is pictured in the sprinkling mentioned here in verse 25. According to the Mosaic law, every Jew who became defiled had to be cleansed before they could go back to the camp and receive and experience the blessings of the covenant. This was done either by bathing in in running water or by being sprinkled with water that was prepared for that purpose. But we know that water can never change the heart. This is only a picture of the merciful, gracious forgiveness that we have through faith. When believers confess their sins to the Lord, they're cleansed because of Christ's blood. God forgives trusting sinners because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Paul of John said in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 7. Second, the Lord will give them a new heart. Verse 26 says, Ezekiel had already talked about this inward change. The kind of change that the Lord wanted for Israel so that they could, uh, that, that, so they could experience, before the, uh, experience it before they entered the promised land. Deuteronomy 5.29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments. Jeremiah, saw, Jeremiah also shared the same promise Ezekiel gave. Jeremiah 24, 7, he said, Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Jeremiah spoke about the new covenant that God would make with the Jews. It was a covenant not written on stones, but on their hearts and on their minds. A heart of stone, hey, that's a hard heart. And it's a heart that doesn't receive God's word and doesn't care about nurturing, developing spiritual growth. Third thing that will happen. The Lord will give them the Holy Spirit within, verse 27 says. It's the Holy Spirit who performs these miracles in the hearts of those who trust in Jesus for salvation. That's what changed us. It was the Holy Spirit within us that in that still, quiet voice, that small voice says, don't do that or do this. Nobody has to tell us. Nobody you know, has to tell us what we should. The Holy Spirit tells us what to do. That's the awesome thing about it. That's the miracle of the changed heart, that nurturing, that spiritual growth. The Holy Spirit within performs these miracles in our hearts, those who trust in Jesus for salvation. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He gives us new desires to love the Lord and to obey Him. The Holy Spirit is given like refreshing water on dry and parched ground. And you know what? It produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, fruitfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The witness of the Spirit or the life of the Spirit in the heart is proof that the person has been born again, born of God. Because you have God's spirit within, you share in his divine nature. So you want to obey his divine will. By his divine nature, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him. 
the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And these are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. 1 Peter 1, 1 1-4. You see, it's nature that determines conduct. It's our nature that determines how we behave. Dogs act like dogs. Why? Because they have a dog's nature. And God's people act like they belong to God because they have God's nature within. Fourth thing that will happen to those that God said to be restored. The Lord is going to claim them again as His people. And it will be like a renewal of the covenant because they'll live in the land and He will be their God and they will be His people. This will be a permanent arrangement because they will no longer rebel against the Lord and disobey His will. The fifth thing that will happen when God brings this change about His people, the the Lord will cause the land to flourish. Verse 29 and 30 and 33 through 35 tell us. Under the covenant that God made with Israel before they entered Canaan, He agreed to bless them. He agreed to meet their needs if they would obey Him. And when you read these promises, you know, again, when we look through it and we see what God did for the Jews in, in, in the Old Testament and all that the Jews gave up. You know, when they turned from, from serving God to serving idols, it's, it's hard to imagine. But how many times do people do that even today? You know, we give up serving God for serving our flesh. But when Israel enters into the promised kingdom, God's going to bless them and he's going to make the land, he said in verse 35, just like the Garden of Eden. And this land is going to yield harvests. The people are going to be enriched by the Lord's blessings and the city is going to be rebuilt and the ruins are going to be removed. It's going to be a wonderful new land for the new people of God. The beauty and fruitfulness of land is going to be a testimony to the nations, the heathen nations around them, according to verse 30. So that's what we should be, a testimony to those around us. The sixth thing that's going to happen to the, the, these new people, the people are going to hate their sins, verse 31 and 32 says. When some people remember their sins, oh, they, they, they enjoy them. They enjoy going back to those dirty days. This is evidence that, that they really haven't judged them and repented of them. When true children of a God remember their past disobedience, they're ashamed of themselves. And they hate themselves because of what they have done to the Lord, to themselves and others. Psalm 9710 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. We can't love the things that God hates, and we can't hate the things that God loves. Romans 12, 9, Paul said, Abhor or hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And one of the signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is, is a growing sensitivity to sin. It's a strong desire to turn away from sin. A seventh blessing in God's changed people will be fellowship with the Lord, verse 37 says. In Ezekiel's day, the people couldn't inquire of the Lord. They couldn't pray. They couldn't be heard because they had sin in their hearts. God even told Jeremiah, hey, don't pray for the people. But under the new covenant, the people will have fellowship with the Lord and they will be able to pray to him. 
The eighth blessing of the changed heart will be the increase of the population according to verse 37 and 38. As in in chapter 34, God pictures his people as a flock of sheep and every shepherd wants to see his flock increase. The Jewish people, was, they were greatly reduced during the Babylonian invasion. But the Lord is going to bless his people and he's going to cause them to be fruitful and multiply, according to verses 12 and 13. So the picture here is of the men going to Jerusalem for the annual Passover feast, bringing their animal sacrifices with them. And the number of animals in Jerusalem would increase greatly, and that's the way the Jewish people will increase in their kingdom. So in closing... As the result of all of these blessings, the Lord is going to be glorified. Israel didn't glorify God in their land or in the temple, nor did they glorify Him in the countries that they were scattered into. But the day is coming, the day will come when God will be glorified by His people and God's glory will return to the land. Every born-again believer can see a similarity here with his or her own experience of faith in Jesus Christ. The Lord has washed us. He's cleansed us. He's made us new. He's given us new hearts. We have the Holy Spirit within. And because of this, we should have a holy hatred for sin. We have the privilege of communion with God and prayer to God for our needs. Plus, we have a desire to do His will. God wants to make our lives abundantly fruitful so that we will glorify His name. The Lord has made us a part of His new covenant, according to Hebrews 8.10, so that our relationship with Him through Jesus Christ is eternal and unchanging. Father, we thank You once again for Your Word. Father, we thank You for the new heart, God. We thank you for that heart of stone, that heart of that hard heart, Lord, that you removed as we turned to Christ and you gave us hearts of flesh, God. Not carnal hearts, but flesh, soft hearts, Lord. Hearts that are willing to turn to Christ, to obey Christ, to live for Christ. Father, help us to do that. Help us to be a light to those around us, God. A light, a good work that those around us may see that light, may see that good work, and yet the glory will go to you, Father. And if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we pray for you that the Holy Spirit has spoken to your heart. And you've recognized your need for Jesus Christ. And that you want to receive him as your Lord and Savior. And the way to do that is to just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. To confess to him that you are a sinner. And that you want his forgiveness of your sins. To be washed and cleansed of all of your sins. And to receive him as Savior and Lord to be filled with His Holy Spirit and to thank Him for dying on the cross and to walk with Him all the days of your life. Father, we thank You so much, God. 
for your love, your grace, your mercy. And Father, we thank you for keeping your covenant with us. Help us, God, to keep our promises to you, Lord. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If any of you.